Coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. A conversation about the great and sometimes not so great outdoors. I'm your host, Lynn Melling. And I'm Jody Gruen. And we do this for fun. Hey, it's Lynn. And it's Jody. And we are here once again at our favorite recording spot, the Trailhead at Theaterworth Park. We are actually inside. We've been outside thus far, but now it's getting too cold to be outside. So we are in the map room, yes. which sounds very impressive. And we're surrounded by some maps. <laughs> we also have, for the first time, and we do this for fun history, a live audience. Live <laughs> studio audience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So pumped. Thank you all for being here. We have this fabulous group of ladies who come to listen to our guest, and um, we're delighted to have yeah to have it. It's audience. been a dream of ours to have a studio audience mm-hmm. for sure. Yep. And I think the reason why we have one is because of this guest of ours. Yep. I mean, in fact, it truly is. They wouldn't be here without her. Um, so our guest today is Dr. Emily Vikra. That's uh, Emily Vikra with a PhD behind her name. Her expertise is food policy and applied nutrition, and I could chat about that for hours and hours with you, and I might need to take you aside for that. Yep, okay. (laughs) Um, But that's not what we're here for today. Um, If you live in Minnesota and enjoy a nice cocktail, you're likely familiar with her work at Vikra Distillery, a quaint and cozy place in... um, to visit in Duluth, Minnesota, um, but also a place with a full line of spirits to fill your liquor, liquor cabinet or your camping cooler mm-hmm. uh, or boxes or whatever it is that you use. On my last Boundary Waters trip, you saved me. You truly did. Um, we have the camp cocktail book right here, um, and we made a variety of cocktails for our trip, and it truly was magical to be able to finish up your day with like a nice cocktail, it's pre-made. The only, it's the only way to survive. It, it, really, it, is it, it really was it magical. magical. Yes, exactly. So I see why you have fans. We too are your fans, and we are so... Um, Happy that you are here. Welcome to We Do This For Fun. Thank you so much. I'm super pumped to be here. This is really awesome. We are so excited. Yeah, we were so excited that you were able to, because you're here in Minneapolis. Usually you live in Duluth, Mm -hmm. but you're here um, promoting some really cool things that you're doing. Yep. Um, So yeah, what are you you in town for first? I am in town. Well, I'm in town for this, obviously. (laughs) Very important conversation to kick off my day here. Um, I'm also doing a book signing over at Subtext Books of my book camp cocktails and um i am then heading over to the makers of minnesota dinner at the lexington wow to yeah have a beautiful i think it's like four course meal with a number of other small makers of food products in minnesota i love it yeah, yeah. That, that's hosted by stephanie hansen yes and she also was a guest of ours oh, fun. Uh, a few weeks she's ago fun, well yeah. actually months now isn't yeah. it yeah she's time is cool. meaningless yeah <laughs> Right, especially in COVID times. <laughs> Truly. Um, before we get into kind of all of the great things that you do professionally, um, let's talk a little bit maybe personally um, what you do for fun outside. Oh, my gosh. Um, 
I mean, everything is fun as soon as you're outside, right? <laughs> but I, uh, um, my mom is from Norway. I'm a Norwegian-American dual citizen. And so I definitely grew up completely steeped in that friluftsliv culture. That, oh, I uh, love that. Yeah, free, what uh, say it again? Friluftsliv, so. which means the free air life. Oh. Um, so my grandpa was Norwegian and yeah. he taught me Mungintusentuk. Is that something? Or did that I is just... many thousands of things. Oh, okay. I didn't oh, swear so just now. I you didn't swear. <laughs> it is saying thank you. I so it's a good thing to know. Because I could have sworn he taught me like profanity as a kid and not. <laughs> he I might have done that too. It, so. Okay, Mungintusentuk. <laughs> and talk. Okay, so you're a Norwegian American. Yes. And so what was that thing you just said? And so it's called friluftsliv, and it's the idea of the free air life. And the culture in Norway is very steeped in just being outdoors and the joy and pleasure of being outdoors, moving your body or just relaxing outside. Um, you know, they say life is better outdoors. And so, um, it's just what you do is spend time outside. You go for hikes, you go for bike rides, you go skiing. Um, yeah, even in the winter, like you, so when you, Uh, I mean, especially in the winter, (laughs) right? Like you can't survive long, dark winters unless you, uh, strap on those skis or strap on those skates and get outside and then you feel like winter can't last long enough um yeah so uh, we do a lot of different outdoor things uh cross-country skiing is definitely like my biggest happy place in the whole world my very favorite activity um but you know biking fat tire biking ice skating we were just pond skating this last weekend with our kids and it was an absolute blast like perfect beautiful black ice making the like pew Oh, it was just oh, so, so magical. Um, and yeah, we canoe and kayak and hike and run. My knees kind of have given out on me, so I don't run as much as I used to. But um, definitely hiking and yeah. And this has been an inspiration for you. I mean, so you've written a book about camping cocktails. So can you talk about how the outdoors have inspired your work and what you do? Um, so we, what you do for fun and how that inspires what you do for a living? Yeah, that's a that's a great question and point um you know growing up in Norway and in Duluth the I always say Duluth is like the outdoors pretending to be a town um there (laughs) are just trails everywhere there is nature everywhere you're on the shore of the world's largest lake Lake Superior and so everything you do is kind of influenced by and guided by the lake and by the woods there and so from my earliest, probably pre-memory days, uh, it was just like part of who I was. Um, it's just integrated into my soul. And so I think I couldn't help but have that be worked into my professional life. And um, yeah, when we started a distillery, uh, the landscape and the nature and like Superior and the woods were really an inspiration for the flavors of our spirits. Um, you know, flavors of the boreal forest with spruce and cedar and juniper and, uh, you know, foraging sumac berries and the, you know, the northern crops like rhubarb and some of the hardy oh, herbs. And, um, yeah, we really wanted to distill those flavors, that sense of terroir and the nature and culture of the area. And so that kind of is how it originally got integrated. And then I think just being in Duluth and being sort of a gateway to northern Minnesota and to the Boundary Waters, people were constantly sending me messages asking, like, what cocktails should I make camping? What cocktails should I bring camping? Um, and so then I was talking with a book editor about the potential actually of writing an Akavit book. And then he was like, actually, we should write a camping cocktail book. And I was like, well, 
that hundred percent has to exist. Like how could that not exist? And started doing a little bit of research and there wasn't any. Really? So they're like, okay, let's take all these DMs I've been sending people for the last four years <laughs> yeah, and compile yeah. them into a book. <laughs> That's amazing. And it truly is brilliant. I mean, it works like it's for, I mean, it's camping deep. You can be deep in the woods. It can be car camping. It can be in your backyard. It can be things to bring to a party, whatever. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like, it's not just a camp cocktail book. It's like an all cocktail book. It is. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, something that I really wanted was to make it accessible for people and all stages of their outdoor journey or for people who just wanted to like celebrate the outdoors without necessarily even getting away from their back porch. Um, and so, and I've done all the types of camping too. So I've kind of thought about the different ways and this, I divided up the way I think about camping, which is like camping from a backpack, camping from a car, mm-hmm. uh, glamping, and then like being at home, but enjoying nature's bounty. I love that. I divide it up into like a running water, like a bathroom that has <laughs> yeah, no Yeah, there you go. Like, yeah. can you pump some water? Yes. Or like, is it a latrine? Yeah. yeah. I have those buckets too of like <laughs> gradual. Yeah. Or like, are you purifying your water? <laughs> yeah. I love too that you even go in the book into specifics about like ice or if you don't have ice mm-hmm. or please don't use the same ice from your cooler that has food and all. Just some basic things that maybe people may not always think about or understand like I really like that it's really just sort of a tutorial of like kind of how to camp and how to um drink in the Mm -hmm. wilderness it is right (laughs) well and that's how I tend to think about things I'm a very like I love a good conceptual model that's probably why I wound up with a PhD I love um taking complex things and pulling back and trying to find kind of the underlying patterns and the whys that underlie why things work and so I like to do that both for um, how to make cocktails how to make ingredients how to cook uh, how to camp how to be outdoors all of that stuff and kind of uh, yeah pull back to that view that gives you the foundations and then gives you details as well but having those foundations allows you to build your own things as well and so I and especially because I started the distillery before I had a strong background in cocktails and so I really taught myself on the fly but when I decide to learn something I like really learn something and I get quite obsessive and I like won't stop reading books about it and uh, researching it and so I just spent several years deep in learning about cocktails and craft cocktails and really enjoyed having the chance to then um, bring that back together in writing form, kind of in the way that I've also brought it to bear in the cocktail room where we make cocktails. Wow. I have, okay, I have so many questions. Okay, let's go back. <laughs> PhD, mm-hmm. what do you have your PhD in? That this is, we're talking, we're in the presence of a doctor, Jerry. I want, I want I don't to remember, I was just talking I about presume, doctors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doctor, doctor, <clears throat> doctor, doctor. Um, so uh, I did my PhD in a discipline called food policy and applied nutrition at the Tufts um, School of Nutrition. And so it's really, you know, you do nutrition research, but really focused on um, kind of the policy or the community and behavioral implications surrounding nutrition. And so I wound up doing a lot of more like the psychology of nutrition and taught behavioral theories um, and their application and health promotion. And I actually wound up doing my dissertation, get this, researching (laughs) the kind of like Uh, organizational structure and interactions of community members and nutrition researchers trying to collaborate on 
community-based nutrition interventions. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> Jody, this is, this is right up my alley. You guys are covering the same class. Yeah. So what were, do you have a key finding that you could share with us? Um, I mean, one of the key findings, because I was really, in, I'm really, really interested in like organizations and how people with very different perspectives can work together. And I would say it, some of the key findings are just humanizing each other and like having very intentional efforts to humanize each other as part of working together was absolutely critical to being able to bring the community perspectives and the scientific perspectives together. And then we were working with um, women and children who were immigrants from Haiti and Brazil Mm -hmm. in the area and really seeing how empowerment and a sense of power and self-efficacy and control over your life was one of the biggest indicators of um, making healthy choices more mm-hmm. so than knowledge or anything like that. Wow. Right. Oh, oh, so, okay. So PhD check. So now you're, I don't know, <laughs> the yeah, small the, business, I'm going to be just, a successful small business owner. Yeah. Tell and us about And distilling alcohol, which I've never done before. So right? how did you <laughs> right. wind up going down that path? So, um, we were living, my husband and I were living in Boston. He, his background is in global health and he was working for a global health organization. I was teaching at Tufts behavioral nutrition. And I think we both were feeling like, um, an underlying itch to get away from the East coast, really love Boston, but it was, I mean, you can hear cars everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I was missing the woods. I was missing the lake. Um, And uh, neither of us really wanted to take the logical next steps on our career path. And so uh, we had that underlying sense of like, we might be looking for something new. When uh, we visited my parents in Duluth and they had just been at a spirits tasting and they were like, we learned all this stuff about spirits. And did you know that a spirit is no better than the water it's made with? And that all you really need for making spirits is great grain and great water. And, at that moment, it was like the idea plopped onto the table, packaged, ready to go. Like, hey, somebody needs to start distilling spirits in Duluth. Wow. We have the best water. There's grain grown mm-hmm. around here. Like, somebody's got to do it. Uh, and it was like an earworm. I uh, spent a lot of time reflecting on it. Like, I'm a person who likes to know what I'm doing. How on earth <laughs> did, was it such a, like, no questions asked choice to be like, okay, let's totally change directions and move to Duluth and do something that we've never done. And I really just think that Lake Superior handed us that idea and was like, it's time to come home, get your butt back here. Here's something that you can do. How long did it take you to make the decision? I mean, it was made as soon as it was spoken, but then we had to, we went back to Boston and we're like, let's figure out why we're making this decision (laughs) and how we're going to make it work. And, um, it just so happened that one of Joel's colleagues, her adult son had recently started a rum distillery in Ipswich, Massachusetts. So we started driving up there on the weekends to, um, learn about distilling and about the process and the business and started doing research about the craft spirits market and how experts thought it was, um, following the the craft beer trajectory. And so it was probably a good time to get into it. And I was like, well, you know, cooking food flavors are my thing. Um, I studied wine. I was doing food writing and recipe development for food 52 at that point. Um, my mom's a professional storyteller. So I have that storytelling background. Joel is like, he can fix and plumb anything. So we're like, okay, we've got a palette, we've got a plumber. It's basic <laughs> organic cool. chemistry. 
Let's, and, and let's do this. We've lake. got the lake full of water, water to inspire yeah. us. Yeah. And so uh, we, yeah, so we picked up like four months later That's <laughs> to, amazing. to start a distillery. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a woman in this industry? Yeah, it's, um, it is a little bit lonely. It's a little bit, it's still very unique. Um, it, there's, you know, that's changing, but it's less than 1% of distilleries in the United yeah. States are owned by women. Hmm. Um, and we also like our head of production, our head brewer are also women. And, um, we've kind of assembled a really great team that I feel like buffers some of the sense of feeling lonely because we've banded together. We've created a really great culture um, that uplifts each other, but you definitely do notice when you go to like conferences or when you're, um, you know, working with suppliers and all this, it's, it's mostly dudes and flannels with beers, Beer, beards <laughs> like whiskey, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and you look at the bottles on the shelves and everything is like reminiscent of the wild west mm-hmm. stand. Um, um, yeah, it's, so it's still a very different perspective to bring, and I think that I don't, um, I don't even realize how often I am unconsciously, you know, moderating my behavior or mm-hmm. carrying myself mm-hmm. in a particular way to try to make sure that I'm like taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, you're like. F that like <laughs> I'm gonna put polka dots on my canned cocktails like yes. I don't I don't yeah. care <laughs> and do you think that appeals to a new market I mean that's kind of it's kind of an untapped market mm-hmm. um you know getting women interested polka dots might actually spark someone to try you know a spirit that they've never tried yeah, before. like try the gin try it and I mean yeah there's so many people there's such a tendency towards like group think mm-hmm. um with like the whiskey mules and the gin and tonics, which in the old fashions, which are all great drinks. But I'm like, there's this whole other world out there that is botanical and that is beautiful and that is like more experimental. And um, yeah, and you get a lot of pushback because you're working through this three tier system where you have to you have to get so many people on board with your ideas um, and with your team's ideas. You know, you're getting the distributors and the retailers and the bars and restaurants and the customers all like you have to make sure things translate through all of those people. But, um, you know, it's worth, it's worth it. Do you have like a specific sort of target audience for your distillery? Um, I mean, I would say our target audience definitely is people I always say it's for anybody as long as you like things that taste good mm-hmm. and are made with really great quality, mm-hmm. right? It's for people who really care about what they put in their bodies that they like the highest quality. They like really thoughtful flavor. They take a really thoughtful approach to eating and drinking. Um, and definitely people who are more outdoorsy and inspired by nature and, um, yeah. And then anyone who wants to come visit us, of course. (laughs) So everybody in this room. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so in Duluth, okay. You've been, and how long have you been there in Duluth? So, uh, we have been there eight years now. Okay. Right. Okay. So there's some, there's some, um, furniture moving around going outside on outside our door. So if, if you listeners, if you can hear that, it's quite, no, quite the sound. Yes. Yeah. No emergency. It's yeah. not an earthquake. It's just um, <laughs> some shuffling yeah. chairs. Oh, okay. And so you and your business or your business partner is your husband. Yes. Correct. Yes. 
And tell us a little bit about working together. Yeah, with we don't your work partner. together as no? much anymore. Okay. Um, he's only about like 10% or a little less working on the distillery. Um, he's doing other stuff with like building projects and things like that. Um, but co-founding it, it was really great because we re- had those very different skill sets where I brought in more of the like um, the product and the brand and all of that creative side. And he was like, I can plumb everything in myself. I know how all equipment works. He built the furniture, um, all of that stuff, and really built those foundations. And then since we've built a team, I've really taken on kind of the continued role of like operating the business, leading the team, um, you know, leading where we're going. And he has found more things to build and plumb. (laughs) Congratulations. That is fantastic. Um, All right, so we're going to take a quick break here in a second, but I wanted to open it up. We have probably time for two questions from our studio audience. If anybody, does anybody have a question for Emily? Come on, there's got to be something. No, don't be shy. No question is a silly question. Would you ever open a distillery in Minneapolis? (gasps) Would would you ever open a distillery in Minneapolis? (laughs) Oh, so uh, we could open a distillery but we wouldn't be able to have a cocktail room attached to it um just because of the laws you're only allowed to have one cocktail room you can have multiple like operational spaces but um it would be complicated or we could like you know have a vicar distillery completely legally owned by someone else that was just like had like if you franchised it similar products Ah. (laughs) and cocktails is it the same for breweries as well that I don't know. Hmm. I can't remember what the brewery legislation is. It's okay. um, it's really confusing to everybody because breweries, wineries, and distilleries all have different laws applied to them in Minnesota and mm. federally. So yeah, there's a lot to yeah. lot to navigate. Wow. Okay, could I ask one more question? Um, <clears throat> absolutely. Yes. Okay, I took a foraging class this summer. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun. And I've read that you forage and you foraged before, like that was something that you've done as a young, like a young person as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how, like how to approach foraging as just a, you know, a person? I don't, I don't, I don't, I would just talk about foraging. I just love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, foraging is so great. And actually I did, while we were still living in Boston, I did this whole huge project. I call it like my second dissertation where I went on this kind of like, artistic, personal, culinary, um, voyage of self-discovery. That's amazing. <laughs> Sounds so dorky. <laughs> no, it does but not. But I was amazing. like, because that was the moment when, um, the new Nordic cuisine had really become mm. spotlighted in the culinary world. And I was looking at these dishes and reading about these chefs and trying to square kind of that with the Nordic food that I had grown up with and really started thinking about like, what, you know, what do we leave behind? What do we take with us? What creates a food culture? Um, what does it have to do with like place and time and truly grounding yourself in place and time? And how does that look um, in different eras and for different families and things like that and so i wound up creating this 17 course meal for the 17th of may which is norway's independence day or constitution day um that that was all kind of my norwegian comfort food from growing up and celebratory food from growing up but reimagined with that kind of new nordic lens of being 
really grounded in a place and time. And so how would that look if I was grounding it in the place and time of being a PhD student in Boston? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, did some foraging for that and, uh, was reflecting on foraging and was like thinking back on my memories of like growing up in Norway and picking certain grasses or shells uh, from the ocean, picking berries, things like that. And being like, Oh, that's foraging. Like, Foraging is just going out and getting food. Yeah. <laughs> People have always been doing that. And it's just a question of like, are you doing it from the wilds? Are you cultivating it? Are you getting it from a grocery store? Um, there's nothing, you know, trendy about it. It's the oldest way of yeah. getting your food. And so I had the grounding kind of in what I had been taught uh, culturally and from my family as to what to pick. And then... Um, learn some new things from doing classes. And so I'd say for getting started, if you don't have like a family background in uh, what is safe to pick or what is delicious and what do you have to leave alone, it's really great to get started with somebody who is like a certified guide or certified forager who has the training in it and can teach you hands-on in a deep level um, how to recognize things because I'm, I'm, I love foraging, but I'm an anxious forager. I like to be at least 150% sure <laughs> of what it is that I'm Sounds picking like because there are things that, you know, something delicious looks very similar to something that will yeah. kill you. So it's something yeah. where you want to really learn it properly. And the best way to do that is hands-on with somebody who can like show you the difference between what the mushroom ribs like or ribs look like, or like show you exactly how these berries look different from each other. Um, and then it's useful to also get like field guides and things like that to back that up. I think another really important thing to think about with foraging is how you're impacting the wild mm -hmm. population of these different plants and making sure you're taking a really respectful and long view approach. Um, because many wild plants, you know, we've cultivated things over the eons to grow faster reproduce more quickly that's not necessarily true of wild plant populations so you want to make sure that you know deeply like how that plant reproduces and how you can forage and how much you can take before it hurts the plant um, and make sure that you're just yeah putting the plants best interests first i love that mm -hmm. <laughs> Our studio audience, right? I mean, and I know, like when I, when I lived in New England, like ramps were all the rage, and people would go just decimate the entire population, and then they would like get really expensive at the farmers market, and then you couldn't get any. And I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Be responsible. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Yeah. And it's you know it's it's rarely ill intentioned, but it comes yeah. from a lack of understanding yeah. about the plants, and so it's really great to to learn about the plants before you, and just, you know just treat the plants as part of your kin and part of your ecosystem before you go pick, love picking them. Yeah. Beautiful. Love them. All right, we are going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, our top tip. We Do This For Fun is supported by 515 Productions, a high-end video production business based in Minneapolis. The website is 515productions.com. And did you know that Jody is also a health and wellness coach? Check out her website at jodygruen.com. If you like this podcast, we'd love your support. Please rate and review us and hit subscribe. Learn more about us at wedothisforfun.com. Thank you. 
Welcome back. Okay, so Emily, we have established that you love to be outside for fun. You have so many fun things that you do, foraging and distilling. Um, but if there's one tip that you could give listeners who might want to try to do one of the things that you've been talking about, what would you, what would you tell listeners? Uh, there's a Norwegian saying, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. Oh, I love that. Yeah. How do you say that in Norwegian? Det finns ikke stygge vær, bare feil klær. I love that so mm-hmm. much. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of great Norwegian sayings. I will say also now having young kids, another one that I fall back on is Ven i tiden der ingen skam og snu, which means turn back in... Or, uh, Turn back before it's too late. There's no uh, like shame in turning around if you have to. <laughs> to keep things fun, to keep things fun Amen. with your kids. <laughs> Amen. I love that. So, so there's no set. The wait. There's no bad weather, just bad clothing, and there's no shame in turning around. Just- yeah. If you have small people who are falling apart. <laughs> oh gosh, all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. Or story us, of our lives. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, Emily, it's been such a great pleasure getting to know you and um, hearing all these Norwegian um, sayings. I feel like I'm going to go home and get out the, what's it called? The, um, on the computer, they'll, you can put the words in, the translator. Oh, Google Translate. Yeah. Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll be using that something. a lot tonight. Oh, and while I'm here, I probably, sh- I think I'm allowed to plug that I have another book. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The Family Camp Cookbook that will be oh. coming out this next spring. So there are a lot of stories about the, um, joys and hilarity of having kids and trying to do things outside with oh them. Oh my gosh. Okay, we might need to have you back for <laughs> yeah, a second. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that would be... Would you be okay with that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. We can That's have a, a very special camping episode. Yes. I love yeah. that idea. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, we're hoping that... We didn't really talk about holiday cocktails, but... Yeah. There's a lot of them. And I would suggest checking out your Instagram account, the Vikra mm-hmm. Distillery. Mm-hmm. Um Instagram because there are tutorials, you you talk, you're so beautiful as you're making cocktail. Like it's just fun to I watch. I just wave you. my hands around a lot. You wave, yeah, but you without also, realizing it. You also go through some there are some posts where you go through kind of the science of mm-hmm. things and why well, you know, why why it works and all that. And it's really interesting as a kind of as a as a person to kind of understand a little bit more mm-hmm. and get it in bite-sized pieces instead of trying to read it yourself and figure it out yourself. So thank awesome. you for that. Um, but nature can be an inspiration for just about everything, including um, Camp, uh, camp cocktails, mm-hmm. um, but also you know it's inspired artists, adventurers, and entrepreneurs like you, um, and we appreciate it so much. Um, nature also inspires relaxation, as does a good cocktail. Um, so what happens when you put two together? If you think about it, we flock to patios, we flock to lakes, we flock to beaches and boats and ice houses and cabins, and we always tend to bring a cooler of our favorite beverages. So there's something about the two that's very inseparable. And um, psychologists even say that if you don't drink too much, enjoying a couple beverages creates that relaxing, pleasurable experience. Um, and the good associations with being out in nature actually allows you to really experience these good feelings and good vibrations even more. So you're onto something and with all of the good and healthy ingredients and all of the beauty that and energy, good energy that you put into things, we thank you for that. Um, Our challenge for our listeners this week is perhaps to check out your Instagram, Emily, um, and to make a great mocktail or cocktail and guess where we think you should enjoy it. 
studio audience. What do you think? Ooh, the loop. <laughs> And we know this week you're going to go out and have fun out there. Thanks for being with us, Emily. Thanks for having me. As always, we welcome your questions and feedback. Email us at wedothisforfunpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be dedicating future episodes to answering your questions. So let her rip, whether it's about gear purchases or tampons and IBS in the wilderness We don't judge. Been there, done that. Nothing is off the table. And thanks for listening.